Hey everyone, this is Charlie Bevins from Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of DePaul Blue Demons. Uh, you know, with Kevin Garnett making the Hall of Fame this week, I felt it would be good to do a podcast about him. So I brought on David Kaplan. Kaplan is somebody who spent uh, a lot of time working with and in Chicago high school basketball. When I interviewed him for a separate podcast last year, I asked him who the best high school player he's ever seen in Chicago is, and he said, without hesitation, Kevin Garnett. So I wanted to bring him on, talk about sort of his relationship with Garnett, what Garnett was as a high school player, and ultimately what he became in the NBA, which is obviously a Hall of Famer. So without further ado, here's Cap. All right, David Kaplan on the line. Cap, uh, if you could just real quick explain your your timeline from um, the scouting service you do up until the first time you met Kevin Garnett. Oh, sure, absolutely. So I was a college basketball coach at Northern Illinois University from 82 to 86. And after leaving there, I became an NBA scout as well as running my own scouting service. And so I got to know everybody in the city of Chicago, and I saw Kevin play as a, I think he had just turned 17. He was a sophomore in high school in 1993, and then watched him again the next year at the Nike camp. But prior to that 1994 Nike camp, which was held where I live in Deerfield, Illinois, uh, a friend of mine, one of my best friends in my life, he was the assistant coach at Farragut High School. He showed up at my house with two of his players. They happened to be in my area playing in a summer league, spring league type tournament. And he showed up with Ronnie Fields and this 6'11 kid named Kevin Garnett. And I had I knew Kevin as a player, but I had never met him. And so he was in my house eating lunch and spent a few hours together, got to know him. And uh, that's, you know, how I got so locked in on following that team all season long, which they were the best anyway, so I would have seen them, but I had a front row seat because I knew those guys. So when, uh, I, lo- I love the story of when you invite them over, and you talk about this in your story you wrote on NBC Sports Chicago, that uh, your son Brett, who was just born at the time, kept crying, and then Kevin Garnett picks him up, and is just holding him while eating a sandwich, and he just magically stops crying. Yeah, it's an amazing story. Uh, They showed up at the house. I made them lunch, and Brett was a month old, and all he did was cry. And Kevin goes, here, let me hold him. I said, no, we're good, man. We're good. You don't need to deal with this. And he said, kids love me, Cap. Give me the baby. (laughs) So I hand him over, and Brett, you know, is looking at this giant, and staring at him and stopped crying with Kevin ate a sandwich in one hand and Brett in the other. And I would love to have that picture, but I do have that memory. When So you, you said you uh, you and Eskridge played uh, two-on-two against Garnett and Fields. Do you remember who you matched up against? Uh, yeah, I, Eskridge actually matched up against Ronnie Fields and I matched up against Garnett. And he, I mean... You know, I, this is what uh, twenty-five years ago, twenty-six years ago. So I was all of thirty-three years of age. So you know, I was in mostly better shape because I think I'm in better shape now. But I was certainly, you know, more 
athletic and quicker than I am now at the age of 59. And Kevin loved to hang out around the three-point line and shoot jump shots. <laughs> but anytime they decided they wanted to go inside, what was I going to do? He's 6'11", I'm 5'10". I don't jump very well, and he's up in the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, it was fun to try and go out and check him, and we just got our head kicked in. It was fun. <laughs> so you said all these... All these kids just show up to watch Kevin Garnett and uh, and Ronnie Fields play, and you said that's kind of when you knew that there was something special with Garnett. When you first saw him uh, at Farragut, what was? Do you remember what the first time you saw him at Farragut was like? Well, I mean, again, I had seen him play in an All Star game in the nineteen ninety three Nike Camp in Indianapolis against Allen Iverson. Race LaFrance was in that game. There were a lot of great players. And so I remember thinking back then, okay, that kid's ridiculous. Then the next year before the Nike camp is when he was at my house, and I started to get an inkling at that day that he was going to potentially transfer to Chicago. It wasn't done, but it was certainly something they were discussing uh, that he might move to play with Ronnie. And so I remember going see him play at the Bulls training center at the Nike camp and there were all these really good players that were highly ranked Sam Decker from Wisconsin was one of the best athletic wing guys and remember watching him try and stick Kevin Garnett and Sam was a damn good player and had no chance and then I started going to Farragut practices you tell me where they're playing I'm going to see them play and so Watching Kevin warm up and just toy with high school kids, it was literally ridiculous. That's how good he was. <laughs> what is there a specific element of his game that just stuck out to you while he was in high school that was just so much more advanced than everybody else? His athleticism was, you know, he wasn't like this 6'11 gangly struggling to get up and down the court. This guy was athletic, man. I mean athletic. And then Kevin Garnett played with a passion, intensity, ferocity, and a drive that you don't see in many kids. I mean, he was literally a pro among children. It was so obvious to watch him play. You went, who the hell is that guy? Where did he come from? Is he human? I mean, and he loved putting on a show. Kevin was not a just be quiet. He liked to talk trash. He liked to show off, and he played with this intensity that I haven't seen many kids ever possess. So the trash talk acumen has been there basically his whole life, from what you say. Um, Kevin just he he didn't suffer fools lightly. Yeah, like he wasn't intimidated talking to an adult. Like I remember interviewing him after the. Proviso West Holiday Tournament Championship game when he was named MVP, and they throw to me for an interview, and I said, you know, tell me about the game, about this, about that, about this. And then I said, so what's next for Kevin Garnett? And most kids would say, you know, we're just going to take him one at a time. He looked at me dead in the eye on live TV and goes, I'm going to go take a shower. And it was just that was kind of a microcosm of how he was. He always had, you know, a quick wit. He always had a little bit of a jab or a joke. Yeah, I loved the guy. Love him. 
So you have a lot of great stories in this piece, but I think my favorite one is the one about the Oprah Winfrey show when in February of 95, a producer calls about um, uh, a piece about childhood prodigies. How long did it take you to come up with Garnett? Was it just like an immediate reaction? No, it was immediate. It was immediate. I mean, it did not take me long at all when they said, have you ever seen a, a player at a young age that you think can be in the Hall of Fame? And I said, at a young age? Like, I saw Michael Jordan play in college and went, that guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, that wasn't rocket science. Everybody knew that. But to see a kid at just turning 16 to 17 and skinny and... Michael Wilbon, you can Google the article. He wrote in the L.A. Times. I have the article. It, you can find it on Google in two seconds. Michael Wilbon, the headline is, NBA, uh, high school star Garnett, NBA fool's goal. How he's not ready <laughs> to play in the league, getting bad advice. He needs to go to college. He's this, he's that. He's you know, not going to be successful if he jumps to the league. And it was just horrible, horrible analysis. And Michael is a smart basketball guy. And I'm sure he wishes that no one would ever look at that column again. But, oh, my God, you could not have written a worse take on Kevin Garnett if you tried. <laughs> I love that. The, so that, that's so funny because at this point, nobody's going from high school to, uh, to the NBA. And Garnett's really the one that changes that. When are you – you know, at what point are you telling people this guy is going to – not only is this guy going to go to the NBA, he's going to go top ten and he's going to be a star. At what point are you – is that uh, something that you're telling people? Uh, I mean, when I saw him play in 93, I remember saying, that kid is going to be one of the best players in the NBA. And then when I watched him throughout that 94 Nike camp, into the 95 Farragut season, I said, he's not only going to be a good NBA player, that guy's still in the Hall of Fame. He's going to be one of the best we've ever seen, and he might be, in the one year he's here, the single best player I've ever seen play in Chicago high school basketball. And I saw Isaiah Thomas and Mark Aguirre and you name them, I saw them. And Kevin Garnett, I would put, for me, number one on the list. So back to the Oprah Winfrey story, you're in the green room and you realize Usher is in there, Richard and Venus Williams walk in, and Katherine Heigl is there. What's going through your mind at this point? Um, you know, you got to remember, first of all, like Usher was big, but he wasn't what he is today. And mm -hmm. our perspective, because of social media, certainly has changed how we view stars because they become so much bigger than maybe they were back then. Venus Williams was a big name. She was 14 years old, 15 years old. She hadn't accomplished much yet. We knew she was going to. Katherine Heigl hadn't been in, you know, some of these amazing movies. And she was very quiet, kept to herself. So... While they're huge names now, they were, they were potentially going to be huge names that happened to be on that show back then. So, yeah, it was just different. It was cool 
game there was by far Oprah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, the Oprah Winfrey show, you can watch it in different countries. I had a friend of mine living in London send me a letter because we didn't have email and all that like this. And he sent yeah, a handwritten letter. Dude, I'm sitting in my house. He was living in London and I'm watching Oprah Winfrey and you're on there. What the heck? How did you get on that show? So it was uh, it was quite a thrill to be on her show. Were you nervous? Uh, was I nervous? I wasn't nervous when I was on the show. I was probably more nervous that you know they were going to run out of time and not get me on. <laughs> that happens all the time. You bring in all these guests, and I was really excited to do it. So I was probably more nervous about that than I was about. Not, you know, when I was sitting in the chair answering her questions. So l- later on in that year, uh, that Farragut team ends up playing um, uh, uh, Thornton in the Elite Eight of the of the playoffs. And the talent collection of that game is kind of ridiculous because it has, I think, three NFL players in Napoleon Harris, Antoine Rendell, and Ty Streets, and then Marvin uh, Melvin Eli on that roster. What... What was that game like? Was it was it just a crazy intense intense game? Um, that game was really cool because you had a Farragut team that everyone assumed they had Michael Wright, they rested deep, six foot seven, two fifty, two forty, played in the NBA, went to Arizona. And he was probably still at that point 225 pounds as a sophomore in high school. He was a monster. Then you had Ronnie Fields, and then you had Kevin Garnett. Then they had a couple other guys that went on to play Division One basketball. So you looked at it and went, oh, my goodness, that team's never going to lose. But then you really look at it, you see how physical Thornton was, and they were extremely well coached by a guy named Sam Camelli. And... Farragut turned it over a few times. Kevin was caught out at the top of the key a few times where he missed a jump shot and nobody got the rebound. And all of a sudden you started to think, oh, boy, you better put that guy right down under the basket and throw it inside. But, you know, Farragut had their way they played, and they had dominated so much just on their pure, raw athleticism and talent. And then you had, when you put Garnett on the block or Michael Wright, you had Melvin Eli, who played in the NBA, played at Fresno State. Melvin Eli was no slouch now. And then Napoleon Harris is a linebacker in the NFL, and he's going to guard Michael Wright and guard him hard because he's a physical, tough football kid. So that mentality, they were not intimidated at all. So when you look back on it, I guess I shouldn't have been shocked, but because of the talent Farragut had, we all were stunned. That is, I love that. That's crazy. Later, you know, obviously you mentioned, um, kind of touch on what represented the prevailing thought about high school players at the time in that Willbon piece. How much pressure was on Garnett uh, as kind of this guy who could either completely change the way the NBA draft works or keep the status quo? Uh, say that one more time. You cut out there for a second. Sorry, how much, how much pressure would you say – uh, may have been on Garnett just in the sense that he could change the NBA draft by being this first kind of high school player to do it other than a few guys in the 70s? 
Um, I don't think Kevin felt pressure because Kevin knew how good he was, how talented he was. And so I truly believe that Kevin went and did a workout at a school called Avalon Park. This was during the pre-draft camp because as a high school kid, he wasn't invited to the pre-draft camp. That's just not what they did. Mm -hmm. They couldn't. So Kevin went put his own workout on and all these GMs and scouts and coaches came over during a break from the college pre-draft camp. And I remember Doug Collins saying to me, because I had begged Doug, dude, trade whatever you have to get this kid. Trade up to the top pick. He's like, I'm not taking a high school kid that high. I said, Doug, trust me. This guy's amazing. I know him as a person. He's amazing. And they had, I think, pick 18 and 19 in the draft. And they had one in the top 10 that they had traded in another deal. I said, dude, package all of no chance. And then Doug shows up at the workout and has no idea how good this kid is and walks up to me 10 minutes into it. He goes, okay, ask me, how the hell is that a high school player? He goes, I can offer 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. I ain't getting that kid. He's gone. He is absolutely going in the top five. And you look back, Jerry Stackhouse was a good player. Rasheed Wallace was a good player. Joe Smith had a solid NBA career. But you would never, ever look back at that draft and go, Kevin Garnett shouldn't have been the number one pick. But guys were afraid at that time to take high school players. They had really done their homework and really believed in the ability. He's a slam dunk number one overall pick. So for a lot of people who listen to this, they're probably around my age. And I mostly remember Garnett as a Celtic. How It may seem like a simple question because obviously he's a Hall of Famer now, but just how good was he with Minnesota? Oh, my God. Like, he hit the ground running. Kevin Garnett was ridiculous as a Timberwolf. Like, he was a good player for the Celtics. They won a title, all of that. But as a Timberwolf, when he had had – no injuries. He hadn't had the pounding and the travel and everything that goes into professional basketball that wears your body down. Kevin Garnett was unbelievable, man. I mean, nobody could stop that guy. And as he continued to improve his perimeter jump shot, yeah, Kevin Garnett was amazing. What What was it that made, like, he has this really uh, sort of legendary mentality about how he approached the game and how competitive he was. What like how how does how much did that separate him from somebody who may have his talent but may not have his drive? Uh, I think what really started it is if Kevin, when he was around veterans, they told him rookies are to be seen and not heard, and so you know he became a leader quick. And when he was in the locker room and uh, a rookie would come in. Kevin Garnett would say, hey, I don't want to hear one word out of you all season long. Not a word other than on the court. You can talk basketball stuff, but I don't want to hear you chirping in the locker room because that is not what rookies do. I was a rookie. I kept my mouth shut. You're a rookie, and you're going to keep your mouth shut. And he ran that locker room with an iron fist, man. He didn't take any you know, crap from the media. 
Kevin was amazing. And Kevin was, he made people tough or they couldn't handle it and they got out. That's just the way he was. So how, how will you remember Kevin Garnett? You know, what's his legacy in your, in your mind? Best high school player I ever saw come out of this city. Probably the best high school player I ever saw. And the ultimate competitor, warrior, battler. Like that guy, I will always remember I had a front row seat to see the best player I ever saw. If I... Cap, you've been very good to me the last few years since I met you. I really appreciate your time. Uh, stay healthy, stay safe. You know, uh, hopefully... Next time we talk, this will all be getting better. Yeah, God bless. You stay safe and healthy. You got my number. Call anytime, man. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, that'll do it for David Kaplan. As always, guys, thank you for listening. Obviously, a very scary time right now, but we're still going to try to put out content, hopefully provide you guys some sort of distraction from everything going on in the world right now. So until next time, my name is Charlie Bevins. This has been Radio DePaul Sports. Student voice, Radio DePaul Blue Demons.